1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Going for four? Maybe not. Wall Street trying to extend its recent winning streak despite one big Dow component. Having its worst day in 35 years in futures, they're back down. Overseas sticker shock is the U.K.'s latest inflation read. Hitting highs not since Maggie Thatcher was in office. Back home, while the Department of Justice is targeting casino mogul Steve Wynn and his ties to China. A rare rebuke for JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon and his multi-million dollar payday. Later, get ready to write down some names because we're going to lay out 20 stocks that Goldman Sachs says could give you a big margin of safety, even in this market. It is all ahead on this Wednesday, May 18th. Right here on Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you. All right, let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. And right now, stock futures, they are lower across the board. The NASDAQ down the most, about 7 tenths of 1%. All this coming off a nice update for stocks on Tuesday. The Dow coming into the day is up three sessions in a row, Boeing having a big day on Tuesday, popping more than 6%. And the index rising, even as Walmart, fell an incredible 11% on disappointing earnings and guidance. That's following through this morning. It's more like a Walmart-type day today where Dow Futures, they are down just about 81 points. All this as Fed Chair Jay Powell says he is going to do basically whatever it takes to fight inflation, even if the overall economy has to take a hit. There could be some pain involved uh to restoring uh, price stability but we think we can maintain a strong labor market defined as you know a, a labor market where unemployment is low and wages are moving up and that kind of thing it, it may not be the perfect labor market but it will be a strong labor market now those comments along with walmart's results could be one more reason to worry about the u.s consumer going forward those comments also pushing up bond yields on Tuesday, but they've come back down a touch. The 10-year yield right now is still under 3% at about, I don't know, 2.96. Energy inflation, of course, another big risk to the economy and markets right now. And it's been in a big run-up the last couple of days. Right now, crude oil is still back above 114 bucks a barrel. But you don't care as much about oil as you do gas. And gasoline is the real story. And the national average now for a gallon of gas is now $4.52 up 148 from a year ago and in fact every state now has an average gallon of gas price above 4 bucks and by the way a little bit later in the show we're going to show you something on diesel prices that will i promise wake you up on this Wednesday morning all right moving now to crypto and we are seeing bitcoin and ether they are mildly down not a huge drop but they are mildly down right now in fact all the major coins are well overseas a new read on U.K. inflation showing that recent price spikes are doing anything but slowing down. And something that we have been reporting on for a long time, the energy shock, sending prices to rather shocking highs. Juliana Tattlebaum is our London newsroom with that, the trade, and a 40-year high for inflation, Juliana. Ouch.
2: Brian, good morning. Well, it's certainly capturing everybody's attention, that inflation number. We're tri- we've got inflation hitting a 40 year high, at least. And now the Bank of England's job, even more difficult. There's clearly pressure building on them to continue hiking rates and potentially to do so at an even faster rate. But it clearly puts the economy, puts individuals, households, and companies under pressure. We've already got what has been called a cost of living crisis here. So the situation remains difficult, and the balance a difficult one to strike for the central bank. As for markets, they've taken the data in stride. The FTSE 100 is trading around the flat line this morning. We are seeing a pullback in sterling after the March higher we've seen this week. We saw some pretty sizable gains yesterday in the British pound versus the dollar. Outside of the UK, it's a fairly muted session. We've got a little bit of red for the German and French markets, some green on the board for Spanish, Italian, and Swiss markets, but no major moves in either direction. So it seems as though investors are pausing for breath after the rally we saw in Europe yesterday. Um, From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like. We do have a couple of earnings in focus in the luxury space. We had Burberry deliver results today, and the stock is trading down this morning. Uh, They warned that the impact of the China lockdown is uh, fairly significant, so investors digesting that. Sector-wise, oil and gas is the best performer, up about 1.5 percent alongside utilities, real estate, and autos. On the downside, travel and leisure and basic resources are underperforming. Brian.
1: All right, Juliana Tadelbaum. Juliana, thank you very much. All right, now let's get to some of this morning's other top headlines, including a scary new potential scenario in the crash of that China Eastern Airlines jet a couple of months ago. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Sylvana.
3: Hey, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, definitely scary. So investigators looking into the crash of that China Eastern Airlines Boeing 737-800 are reportedly examining whether it was due to intentional action by the flight crew. Officials finding no evidence of technical malfunction with the jet, that's according to Reuters. No comment from Boeing, the NTSB, or Chinese regulators just yet, but the Wall Street Journal did report earlier yesterday that flight data from one of the black boxes indicated someone in the cockpit intentionally crashed the plane, killing all 123 passengers and nine crew members aboard. With Elon Musk's bid for Twitter on hold pending a thorough bot review, new filings show Musk met privately with key Twitter executives before publicly announcing his bid for the company. While it is not clear what was discussed during those three days of closed-door meetings between Musk, Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey, current CEO Parag Agarwal, and Twitter board chair Brett Taylor, Musk has been polling his followers on their experience with Twitter and interactions with bots in recent days. And House Democrats plan to hold a series of hearings on the baby formula shortage in the U.S. Lawmakers also say they will move to pass new legislation, increasing the FDA's inspection staff to ensure imported products are safe for infants and a $28 million emergency funding ramp up. Brian, lots of moms out there, uh, you know, very concerned.
1: Yeah, very, very concerned. Certainly, you got a newborn baby and it wants yeah. to eat, and, and you rely on formula. Uh, this is something that needs to get fixed. And like yesterday, Sabana, now thank you very much. You got it. All right, let's get back now to the markets and your money and the growing gap between the winners and the losers when it comes to stocks and its so-called stock dispersion, which your first guest this morning says does create opportunity if you know where to look, and she does. Aaron Gibbs, the chief investment officer at Main Street Capital Management. And joins us now. Aaron. go a little deeper, as much as we can at five ten in the morning, on what stock dispersion is.
4: Sure. So dispersion is that the stocks are basically performing very differently. And so there's a big difference between winners and losers. And year to date, we've been averaging uh, with 30%, which may not sound like a lot, but it's actually a record that we haven't seen since 2009, 2008. And when this sort of over 30% dispersion happens... Um, we get a big difference between winners and losers, but it also tends to last for several years. We get these clusters of years. Um, So this is something that we should be thinking about long-term and when you look at it just between sectors, the difference between winners and losers, and this is an easy example, is the energy sector, which is the best performing sector, uh, is up about 50% and the worst performing sector, consumer discretionary, is down about 25%. So you get this 75% difference in just you know a little over four and a half months, um, that's a big difference and not yeah. something that we're used to seeing. And so, when you try to figure out which stocks to buy or which stocks to avoid, um, one of the ways is is looking at sectors, or one of the ways to start looking uh, is within sectors and within the industries to see if there's just an easy sector industry that you can uh, invest in across the board, or if you really have to do a full deep dive into stocks and In this case, the answer is both.
1: (laughs) Well, Aaron, the only the only thing that has been working this year, and of course, it didn't work forever before that is energy. You know, energy's had a great four or five month run. But other than that, it was a pretty dismal place to be invested for the better part of a decade. Are you a buyer of energy stocks? And I primarily mean oil and gas right now.
4: Yes. So and this is one of the areas where I will use an ETF. Um, I own the IYE, the iShares uh, Energy ETF, um, because it is even when you drill down into the stocks, um, you know, over half of them have very positive ratings quality. uh, (laughs) And so even though it seems, you know, it's already there already so much, I'd still say you can be a buyer even at this level. Um, just because of the, the positive outlook for the, the oil and gas uh, industry, the energy stocks in specific way. Do,
1: do you think overall the, the recent the couple day thing we've had, Aaron, may just be a counter trend rally in an otherwise still down market? Has anything fundamentally changed for you macro wise?
4: No, I think we still got a lot of headlines. And when you look at valuation, certainly some some stocks have become relatively cheap, but they could become cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, We really haven't seen uh, any sort of support when it comes to on the value side, particularly on your growth stocks, Um, they just keep compressing. And so I think we could see that compression trend keep going. Um, I'm not sure if the decline in the overall market is gonna be quite at the pace that we've been seeing. Uh, for the beginning of of well, of April and May. Um, it may slow down, or certainly we're or hoping. But uh, uh, yeah. certainly I don't see a, a stop in that trend just yet.
1: Aaron Gibbs, Main Street. We appreciate it, Aaron, as always. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll talk to you soon, Aaron. Take care. All right, folks, we are just getting started right here on Worldwide Exchange. And when we come back, could the recent chip dip be dead. We're not talking about ruffles. We're highlighting some wild moves in the semiconductor space after a big bounce on Tuesday. Plus, Walmart investors still in shock after its worst day in more than 30 years. Will it rebound today? Later, if you're paying four fifty dollars or $5 a gallon for gas and are frustrated and annoyed by it, imagine being a truck driver right now. We're going to highlight the dramatic spike in diesel fuel prices where in the country it is hitting the wallets the hardest. Here's a hint. It's around here, as usual. We're back right after this.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member
0: SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
1: All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Let's go. Stock number one is Walmart. What else? That stock tanked 11% on Tuesday, the worst day for Walmart since 1987. Walmart reporting a 25% drop in first quarter earnings and cutting its profit outlook for the year. Company being hit by higher fuel and labor costs as shoppers buying more lower margin basic items like groceries. So is this just a Walmart problem or maybe something bigger? We could find out today when Target reports their numbers in a few hours. Their CEO will be on Squawk. Stock number two is Nike. The company's head of diversity is reportedly leaving at the end of July after just two years in the job. That is according to the Financial Times. This is the second executive to depart from that position in as many years. And stock number three is not a stock at all. But the SMH, or the Van Eck Semiconductor ETF, and believe it or not, the chip sector is now positive in May, after the SMH rallied nearly 5% yesterday. Every component of the SMH posting a gain of 2% or more, led by AMD, which jumped almost 9%. By the way, AMD is chipping away, pun fully intended, at its year-to-date declines. It's up 20% this month, which would be the best monthly gain since November. However... It does have a ways to go on the year. stock is still down 28% in 2022. All right, still on deck. Are you excited? Because we are. The 10th annual CNBC Disruptor List is out. Coming up, CEO of one of the top 50 is here with how robots may really be the answer All right. Welcome back. Even in Shanghai, China does get to open back up just a bit. Chinese officials now set to impose more crippling covid policies in other cities and provinces around China. The most recent Beijing's Fengtai district moving to lock down some areas over the next week. Yunishun Yun joining us now with more and uh, Yunis, Shanghai going one way. It appears, unfortunately, that Beijing and parts of actually where you may live are going the other. Tell us about it.
6: Well, the residents in that district that you mentioned, Fengtai, have been ordered not to leave the district and also to work from home. And that district, along with the district where I am, which is called Chaoyang and is the biggest, um, have been um, ordered to undergo three more mass rounds of testing as of tomorrow uh, because the authorities here do want to ensure that they are able to stick to as close to zero cases in this city as well as shanghai as they can now in shanghai the countdown really has begun the city has a goal they hope to reopen by june 1st Um, as of this week residents have been able to step out of their homes more of them have been issued um, these area passes uh, where they're allowed to go out for a couple of hours Uh, it really depends on Um, The uh, you know, some have been able to go further down the streets, others only allowed out into their compound. And then as of this weekend, uh, public transport as well as ride hailing service are supposed to resume. But again, the main goal is June 1st, where the city is supposed to see uh, what has been described as a, a full reopen to and return to normal life. Now, of course, this is all good news for supply chains, but there is a lot of uncertainty that does remain. Uh, The big question is what does normal really look like? Because uh, here in Beijing and in a lot of other cities, uh, the 48-hour negative COVID test is a must to do anything. And uh, the discussion here has been that there will be permanent stations set up for testing within 15 minutes of wherever you are. So if your office is your home, so that you'll be able to get these constant Uh, tests. Um, That as well as the uncertainty, though, Brian, as to whether or not Beijing is really going to be able to stick to this time frame um, if there is even one case uh, somewhere in the city is uh, a big question mark.
1: And we know that so many of the cases indeed are asymptomatic, at least the the Chinese government's own data. I think we looked at the last time with the units was like one in every 15 was symptomatic meaning 14 to the 15, whatever the number was, people walking around not even realize that they may have been carrying the virus. So does that mean that you will force to be tested three times per week?
6: That's already been happening, Um, even. And and it's to be honest, it's quite a productivity killer, even in my own uh, sample of one. Uh, But, for example, just going to the office, uh, we need 48 hour negative covid tests just to enter the door. And then um, if you want to actually go there, the the public transport, as well as, uh, say for example, ride hailing um, or taxis are suspended in our area. So we have to plan out logistics if we want to go to the office. And that's something that's happening on a much bigger scale here in China. So if you think about uh, somebody, a company that has uh, production in one part of the country uh, versus another, I mean, the the amount of logistics that they have to, have to uh, deal with is, is really a big headache. And that's that's a, a big uh, yeah. you know problem for a lot of the companies here.
1: Yeah, you know, and Chinese officials, Eunice, I mean, there's very quick, to, there's articles out that, that probably, of course, they're pushing that are basically like, well, if we don't do this, the hospitals be overrun and, and millions could lose their lives. The hospital data that we've seen indicates that even those with COVID who go in most likely will come out. Uh, Some may not, obviously. But what we've also learned, I think, here in the United States is that this is not a zero-sum game. As bad as COVID is, you also have to take into effect things like the mental health of people, particularly children, learning loss, educational opportunities, poverty. Poverty creates early death later in life. Is there any push on the other side to say, yeah, COVID is terrible, but there's other things we have to be concerned about? Because honestly, I'm going to say this. I don't know how you do it, Eunice. I I could not do what you're doing in that environment. I would break. I'm not kidding. I I wouldn't be able to do it. I would push back.
6: I haven't broken yet, but I have been stockpiling a lot of random food uh, from my childhood, which I think um, my own analysis of myself is that that has something to do with with, um, my own mental health. Uh, but, But, yeah, there definitely has been a pushback, not only a lot of grumbling from the public, but also from the international uh, business chambers. So uh, they have been uh, saying that this cannot go on, trying to uh, push the uh, Chinese authorities to make some changes. And some of the big changes that they want to see is is for China to allow for self-isolation so that those asymptomatic cases that you were talking about, somebody who has a little bit of a sniffle, will be able to just stay in quarantine at home as opposed to being whisked away to government quarantine or having their entire building locked down. Uh, the other idea that people have that uh, the um, international business has been saying yeah. is critical is to vaccinate the elderly population, because that has not been mandated. Oddly enough, uh, here in China, with its um, you know very uh, onerous um, restrictions, uh, the, the authorities haven't done that. Um, And uh, then finally, the the, uh, push by the international businesses is to to mix up the the vaccines. So so use a Chinese vaccine, but also bring in foreign vaccines. And then the way that they've been describing this is is like a Singapore model so that you use lots of different types of vaccines. And that gets at another big issue here, which is the politics of it all, that the uh, Chinese leadership doesn't want to be seen as uh, uh, taking a Western solution to um, a problem that they feel, um, you know, that they like to think that China has been very successful at managing.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe with their numbers in terms of cases, but not with the population. Of course, I know if you push back or speak up, you're liable to just, you know, get locked up. Eunice Yoon, we're wishing you the best. I mean, it's just an, insane what's going on over there. Eunice, thank you very much for joining us. Be well and uh, let us know if we can send anything to you. Although I think if you send food, that actually probably gets quarantined because the box may be infected. All right, Eunice, thank you.
6: It does. All right, let's get a it check get on some of this.
1: Oh, it, yeah, the box gets quarantined. I, I, what is this, May of 2020? Anyway, let's get more uh, headlines outside of the world of money and business what's going on in China. NBC's France Surveyor is in New York with those. Francis, good morning.
5: Brian, good morning to you. Yeah, with the string of primary elections, the stage is being set for the November midterms. In Pennsylvania, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman won the Democratic Senate nomination just days after suffering a stroke. Also in Pennsylvania, the Trump endorsed far-right state Senator Doug Mastriano won the Republican primary for governor. And in North Carolina, Republican excuse me, Republican congressman Madison Cawthorne succumbed to a slew of scandals, losing to his primary challenger, Chuck Edwards. Actress Amber- Amber Heard was back in the hot seat as she faced a full day of cross-examination in the defamation trial brought by her ex-husband, actor Johnny Depp. During Heard's testimony, she told the court Depp abused her, allegations he denies. But Depp's legal team scrutinized Heard's testimony by painting a picture that she abused Depp during their marriage and fueled fights. They also questioned the severity of the injuries she says Depp inflicted.
6: You oh, called I, him a
3: sellout, right, Miss Hurd?
6: I called him a lot of ugly
3: things. And a joke. I called him a lot of ugly things. You called
6: him a joke on that recording.
3: You called him a washed up piece of s***. Your nose doesn't appear to be injured in any of these pictures, does it, Miss Hurd? That's why I'm wearing makeup. Right. And makeup
6: covers up swelling, right?
5: Depp is suing Hurd for $50 million after she wrote an op-ed calling herself a domestic abuse survivor. Heard is countersuing for $100 million. And today is the day Taylor Swift receives an honorary degree from New York University. Swift will be given an honorary doctorate of fine arts and will address NYU's grads during commencement at Yankee Stadium today. So you've got the Swifties, Brian, huge fans who are offering students hundreds of dollars to get access to that inside Yankee Stadium. But for everybody else, they're going to be streaming it live. So that's going to be the next best thing for all these Swifties and the fans.
1: Here's $1,000. bucks. do not graduate or don't go see your kid graduate, <laughs> but let me take your seat so I can see Taylor Swift. It'll probably work for some people. Yeah. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Sure. It might work for me. <laughs> it's like, that's like two tanks of gas. All right. As we had to break, a quick market flash of maybe a little good news. A group of stocks trading at all-time highs heading into the open today. And as you may have guessed, it is all about energy with the sector already up 9% this week. Hitting new highs, Marathon, Chevron, Pioneer, ConocoPhillips, Valero, Exxon. It's all something Aaron Gibbs just talked about earlier in the show. People, they are buying what is working. And even with ESG investing getting a lot of attention, money has been pouring into oil and gas lately. We're back right after this. All right. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. And good Wednesday morning. It's about 530. It's going to be a gorgeous day, mostly sunny, like low 70s. Sounds kind of perfect. Hope you're having a great start to your day. All right. Why don't we kick off the half hour with a check on the markets and your money, see if they're looking as sunny. And unfortunately, they are not stock futures. They are down across the board. Coming into today, the Dow's been up three sessions in a row. Nice little maybe counter trend pop. Dow futures off 75. NASDAQ futures off the most on a percentage basis. Jay Powell making comments about more pain ahead for the economy if he's going to tackle inflation. Those comments pushing up bond yields. Ten-year right now actually a little bit lower this morning, but still right around 3%. Energy inflation may be the or one of the biggest risks to the markets. And it's been on a big run in the last couple of weeks. In fact, crude oil right now back above $114 a barrel. A surprisingly large drawdown in inventories across the board for nearly everything gasoline stocks down 5 million barrels. And now, according to Gas Party and AAA, the national average for a gallon of gas is $4.50 a gallon with no sign of slowing down. Keep in mind, all this happening as the 160 million barrel release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve announced on March 31st actually just began on Monday. So we're three days in, about a million barrels a day, and prices, they've actually gone up. And if you're paying $4.50 or $5 a gallon for gas and are frustrated by it, imagine being a truck driver right now or having a diesel engine in your car. Because diesel fuel prices are out of control and getting worse, especially in parts of the Northeast and right here around New York City. And look at what Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan posted yesterday. Prices at some gas stations in New York or Long Island or Westchester County are showing $7, dollars 7 dollars 50 and even higher Per gallon for diesel. There are 42 gallons in a barrel of oil. So, sort of effectively, the price of diesel fuel around New York costs about the equivalent of $315 per barrel. Okay, I know it is not a one-to-one comparison. A barrel of oil is only about half the cost of a gallon of diesel. The rest is taxes, marketing, refining, and of course, using diesel to truck it. But those prices, maybe even as anomalies as they are, maybe there's some gouging. Who knows? Does start to highlight the near crisis levels we are seeing around here for something that every industry relies on. And that is diesel fuel, the equivalent of more than 300 bucks for a gat or a barrel, rather. Wow. All right, now to some of this morning's other top headlines: J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon being handed a rare pushback by shareholders. This after they shot down the approval of his retention bonus. The more than $52 million package announced by the bank last year was designed to keep Diamond at the helm for another five years. While the results of that vote are non-binding, in other words, Diamond could still get paid, J.P. Morgan's board does say it takes shareholder feedback seriously. Sure they do. PIMCO is reportedly being sued by former workers over what they call a fraternity culture at the firm. According to Bloomberg, Two men claim that minority workers at PIMCO are promoted less, earn less money for the same work as their colleagues, and are often denied mentoring opportunities. Bloomberg says that PIMCO has denied those claims. And the Department of Justice is suing Steve Wynn. government is looking to force the billionaire casino mogul to register as a lobbyist under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. The DOJ claims that on multiple occasions... Nguyen asked former President Trump at the Chinese government's bidding to send a Chinese businessman who was seeking an asylum in America back to China. It adds that Nguyen was acting to protect his business interests in Macau. Wow. All right, back down to the markets and perhaps one of the key stories of the year. And that is the continued clobbering, at least into the last couple of days, of technology stocks. Big names, you know, like Microsoft not even being spared. But could that stock, which has lost about six hundred billion in market value since last November, have some room to run on the upside thanks to the cloud and gamers? Steve Kovac joining us now with a look at Microsoft. Steve, what are you finding? Hey there, Brian. Yeah, Microsoft is feeling the pain in the year's market
7: sell-off. Last fall, it was on its way to a $3 trillion market cap, and now it's well under $2 trillion. Microsoft, along with Apple, was seen as a safe haven for investors to park their money amid a volatile market and the downfall in young, high-growth tech names. But this year, it saw the fall with the rest of the market. Still, analysts see Microsoft as easily holding firm in any sort of recession. They overwhelmingly have buy rating on the stock with an average price target of, I think it's about $363. So cloud is the key component investors have been watching. And even though cloud growth is flat, it's still growing by double digits. And comps should start looking better now that Microsoft has lapped that peak of the pandemic. CEO Satya Adela is also bullish on the Azure cloud business, saying during the company's earnings call last month, he sees plenty of room for expansion as we're still in the early days of digitization among businesses. And we'll also see Microsoft power uh, pricing power at play later this summer. It'll start charging office customers more unless they sign up for annual plans, and that'll increase revenue and keep customers locked in before switching to a rival like Google. And then there's Microsoft's lead in things, Metaverse. The company has been working on the Metaverse since before we even heard the term come out of Mark Zuckerberg's mouth. And today, customers are already using the
1: Microsoft HoloLens, Brian. Read a book called Plowing the Dark by Richard Powers, one of my favorite fiction novels of like 25 years ago. Kind of gets into this, and it's set in Seattle. Anywho, <laughs> forget about Sullivan's book recommendations. Nobody cares. Let's talk about gaming. Gaming. I mean, gaming has got to be a huge opportunity for Microsoft, and they are spending money on it. Yeah, they're
7: not just spending money, Brian. They're spending more money than they ever had. The $70 billion acquisition of Activision, which is expected to close next year, Look, when when Microsoft spends that much money on something, you got to pay attention. They see gaming as a huge growth opportunity, not just to sell software and games to people, but also it boosts their cloud business because they stream these games to devices as well. So it's kind of a one-two punch for them. And look, they kind of woke up and realized, hey, over half the world plays video games. We need to get in on this market. And that's what this Activision deal is all about.
1: Well, maybe a gaming's going to pop them back up. I know. Listen, Microsoft's had a heck of a run. It's made investors a lot of money for five years. Tough year off its highs. But still, Satya and his team have done a fantastic job making money for investors. Steve Kovac, thank you very much. Talk soon. All right. Coming up, speaking of tech, the CEO of one of CNBC Disruptor 50s is here with his plans to revamp logistics and why robots are a big part of it. But as we head to break... Some more key headlines happening right now. China is reportedly in talks with automakers about extending expensive subsidies for electric vehicles. According to Reuters, the move is aimed at keeping China's booming EV market going as the broader economy slows down. Reuters also reporting that the use of Pfizer's COVID anti-viral oral drug is up more than 300% in the last month. The report says that 115,000 of Paxlovid were given during the first week. Of the month and the xfl football league striking a new multi-year deal to broadcast its games on espn and some other disney networks that deal will begin next year and run through 2027 let's hope the xfl does we're back in a moment well i'm back and so is the rbi and today let's get random but interesting on trying to make you or maybe save you some money in the stock market because Goldman Sachs sees some stock opportunity right now. They recently put out a list of what they call their margin of safety stocks. 20 names that they, ha- they say have three key characteristics. Size and liquidity, balance sheet strength, and attractive valuations. And that third one is key. Because in making the list, Goldman is using a price-to-earnings multiple with a 20% cut to expected earnings next year. And even with that, the forward P.E. ratio would still then be at the bottom of the past two bear markets. In other words, these stocks could end up being too cheap, even compared with other nasty markets over the years. So let's check them out. You ready? Here you go. Well, you got a bunch, and you guessed it, Energy, Chevron, Exxon, Conoco, Cotera, Devon, EOG, and Pioneer. They all made Goldman's cut. So did a bunch of semiconductor companies like Micron, Qualcomm, Microchip, Skyworks, and Corvo. It's about half the list, actually. Also making Goldman's margin of safety, fund management firms, T. Rowe Price and Franklin Resources, Best Buy, EA, and another video game company, Take Two, also on the list, as are staffing firm Robert Half, Vertex Pharma, and chicken producer, Tyson Foods. So there are 20 stocks that Goldman Sachs says may, may give you a margin of safety in this market. Nothing is guaranteed, of course, but Goldman likes them. And by the way, I went through that kind of quick. If you missed the chance to write them down, you're like, whoa! Or you're driving. Don't worry. Check it out on our webpage, worldwideexchange.cmbc.com. Random and hopefully profitable. Well, CNBC's annual disruptor 50 list is out. With this year's list highlighting private companies that have grown throughout the pandemic and are ready to meet today's economic and consumer challenges. Of these companies, ten or in the logistics sector, including our next guest, who's working to fix global supply chain issues that have fueled sky-high inflation. Romain Moulin is the co-founder and CEO of ExoTech, which uses robotics to help maximize operations in the warehouse and retail fulfillment businesses, and one of the companies based in France on our list. Congratulations, Roman, for making that list, and thank you very much for joining us. How are robots redefining the logistics and the warehouse business.
8: Thank you. Um, there is a huge need for uh, robotics in uh, the logistics business, and mainly because our customers are facing uh, very strong labor shortages. They have difficulties to find the people to do the job in a fulfillment center, because if you do it purely manually, people will walk 10 miles a day. So this difficult conditions create labor shortages. And also, they don't know what they will do in three or four years. Uh, Logistics is evolving very fast. So, they have a need to get more efficiency of their fulfillment center, whereas they don't know what they will do in the future. So, that's where robotics come, and that's where Exotec comes, delivering the best of performance, but with high flexibility so that you can cope with the future uncertainty.
1: So your personal journey to get here is, I think you would say, très intéressant, right? Very interesting in a sense, Roman. that you were kind of working along at GE Healthcare, probably had a good job there. But then you saw Amazon buy the robotics firm Kiva and some kind of big, I don't know, GE light bulb went off on your head. I mean, what did you see that others aren't doing that made you think you can get ahead of it in this business?
8: You are right at that moment. I think Amazon uh, is always a bit ahead of uh, the competition and they are really putting pressure on the level of what's expected on the supply chain. And uh, when Amazon bought Kiva System and said, I keep the technology internally, as you said, it was a light bulb in our head. And we said, we need to get the best of this robot's technology, but we need to do it with very high density. So you can see on the video that these robots are moving up and down in the storage. And in fact, we can really fill the, the whole warehouse uh, for having very high density of articles. So our system are very uh, performant in terms of speed of uh, the preparator, but also very dense in terms of how many articles you can pack in your fulfillment center.
1: Yeah. How, how big do you imagine your addressable market, the TAM, your total addressable market may ultimately be, Roman?
8: Our total addressable market is around 60 billion. It's a huge market. And there are only a few players, uh, big traditional players, companies which are 50 or 60 years old. Um, but we do things differently. And we really think we can really v- revolutionize uh, the supply chain by using this advanced technology. And this market is growing like hell uh, every, every year. It's uh, 15% growth every year. So I would say this market is creating several-time exotech in terms of size already uh, every year. So we have a huge yep. playground, and we think this robot is only the beginning. And uh, We really want to put robotics everywhere where it makes sense in, uh, in the warehouse to, to get super high-end uh, yep. warehouse.
1: And, and you're not just in France. You recently opened an office in what yep. we'll call the new Silicon Valley, and that is Atlanta, Georgia. Roman Moulin yeah, making our Disrupt 50 list. Uh, Congratulations, Roman. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Oh, you're very welcome. Je vous en prie. All right, on deck. Hendrik Dutoy, CEO of asset management firm 91, on the strategy that he is implementing right now amid all the volatility, including a focus on sustainable investing. And all during the month, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. We head to break for his destination. Wealth Management founder and CEO Michael Yoshikami. My heritage really has taught me how important it is uh, to really be focused on uh, results, to really be focused on trying to do the best I possibly can do every single day, and I think that that contributes greatly to the success I've had in the business world. There's a tremendous uh, population of investors that are looking for help, and and many times they're looking for help um, from folks that can really understand their culture and their backgrounds. I think there's tremendous opportunity for asian-americans to continue to advance in the financial services world all right another busy day ahead for investors at 8 30 the housing starts and building permit numbers roll out it was home depot and walmart tuesday target Lowe's earnings are out this morning and the ceo of target will join becky and crew on Squawk coming up 10 a.m sec chair gary gensler heads to capitol hill to testify likely being grilled by lawmakers in the house over his aggressive regulatory agenda and happy anniversary, Facebook stock. Today marks 10 years since the company went public. And yeah, it's struggled as of late, but it is up about 430% since its IPO. So it's made people a lot of money over the long run. Well, let's talk about making money and markets. Joining us now to talk about that and global macro situation right now. Welcome back in. Hendrik Dutoy, he is the CEO of Asset Management Firm 91, a global asset management firm based in London, With a special focus on sustainable investing. They just announced record earnings of 34 percent, billions in inflows into their funds and asset under management now at about one hundred and seventy five billion U.S. dollars equivalent. Hendricks, great to have you back on the program. Congrats on the numbers. I mean, I got to imagine it's tough for you guys over there as it is here. And with everything going on about Europe and Russian gas and oil, uh, how chaotic uh, do you see the markets being the remainder of the year, if, if at all?
9: Good morning, Brian. Uh, thank you for the comment around the results. But that's last year. We're in very volatile and challenging markets. And I think last time I was on your show, it was just before the war and you asked me the question, what would the implication be? I was right about inflation, but then I said to you, I don't think you'll ever invade. It is just too, it is too the, the, the complexities that will flow from that are just too much. And actually that's what Russia did. We're now in a world where we have serious energy shortages, particularly in Europe. And with the sanctions regime on top of that, it is truly complicated. And we're still in summer. So uh, I think we're in for a, a fairly volatile ride.
1: Uh, yeah, listen, in, in so many people, by the way, Hendrik, we're, were so wrong about that. Whether or not Putin is mentally ill or unwell, he seems to be certainly, because this is an unwinnable war. Uh, Maybe we'll never know. Hopefully we'll find out. But, you know, inflation at a 40 year high in the United Kingdom, paying ten dollars U.S. dollars equivalent for gasoline in certain parts of continental Europe. How is the inflation story, do you think, going to hit the consumer and then thus hit the markets, hit hit the equity markets?
9: I think there are two two big implications. The one is the the actual inflation implication on consumer behavior. The U.K. announced nine percent this morning or this week. These are big numbers, but there are, the, there are then the political consequences in democratic societies where people are going to be blamed and the temperature is going to be, go up, which may lead to less rational responses from politicians. And I just hope the central banks can get ahead of the curve from because they have clearly been behind. The second implication is in emerging markets, actually much more severe. Where food prices are a real thing—it's—it's it's not just something. It's not just the price of a television or something. It's actually the way mm-hmm. you live. And so I think political instability and unpredictability is with us for a while. So, so we we electricity port- when
1: we when you and I when you and I met uh, Hendrik in your office back in November, I was there talking about the price of electricity, and it's gone up what sixty percent since then for a lot of families. Probably going to go up even more in October. Do you really? And you've also, by the way, got the the impact of a surging U.S. dollar. I mean, we're nearing parity with the euro and we're closing in on the pound in many ways. How how do you see this? You said political instability. How could it play out? I mean, because your job is kind of as a CEO to predict bad scenarios and plan for them.
9: I think my job is actually to plan for them and, and make sure the business is robust I can't predict them accurately, so therefore you always protect on the downside. I just want to add one thing: it's not just electricity. Fertilizer costs have shot through the roof, which means people in many poor societies cannot actually be, cannot actually be uh, afford to plant for the next season. This season is okay; the next season is a real issue. And I think the world needs to pull together, and it is not doing that. So. Where we are going with portfolios is we, we are ensuring and, and have been so for, from the beginning of the year, make sure we are in robust investments um, and balance sheets that can hold, companies that can see you through yeah. this, uh, even if it, you, you, you miss a little bit of temporary performance because we think it's now a return of capital rather than a return on the capital world.
1: Hendrik... Andrew- yeah. we got to wrap it up in a second. I just did a piece on margin of safety from Goldman Sachs. Is there like a sector or an area you think, and your, your people and the fund managers think, is a relative safe haven, relatively right now?
9: Yeah, I think I think uh, uh, quali- quality diversified double companies with strong balance sheets, not dependent on on credit markets, because credit markets are actually quite uh, expensive places right now. And I think at some point uh, the, 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 you know, fixed income investors are going to get a big opportunity in this year, whether in emerging markets or developed markets. But uh, for the time being, defensive uh, and ensuring that this robustness in the portfolio is the key.
1: Hendrik Dutoy, appreciate the uh, the calm words in, a, in an uncertain world, especially where you are in the UK and, and continental Europe. Uh, it, it's a rough time for so many. Hendrik, thank you very much for joining
9: thank us. You, great thank Take you, Brian. Take care.
1: All right. You're very welcome. All right. Well, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We are going to see you back here tomorrow morning as well. But we got Lowe's numbers and Target's numbers. Target, we'll see. Will they follow Walmart down that uh, guidance cut path? Stay tuned to find out. Squawk is up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.